Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, this is Hassan Ahmed joining you from Manchester in the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm the co-founder and chief tech technical officer of Peru.com. We are an early stage healthcare, health tech company based in the UK with a background in big data and analytics. Joining me is an esteemed panel of Safa Al-Khatib, CEO of AutoCab, a global tech firm working in the transportation and logistics industry. And he is speaking from Washington, DC. Alongside him is our respected and esteemed brother, Muhammad Jawad Kaki, who is the founder of Kaki Foundation and former vice president of uh, Microsoft from Seattle. And he's, well, he's reporting from Seattle, if, that's, if, I'm, if I'm right. Even before the advent of COVID, technology was rapidly changing the world around us and impacting every aspect of our lives. In a post-COVID world, the speed of change is even faster and even more dramatic. We can expect a world in 10 years from now to look very different to the world which we see today. Over the next 30 minutes, we will not be looking to give you a tutorial on technology, um, rather a glimpse of the future of technology, a glimpse into the future of technology and how it will reshape the economy and our future lives. We hope to rouse your curiosity uh, in the tech world and give you some quick tips on how to get more involved. So I'll start with the first question to Brother Safa in, in Washington. Safa, you have been a successful tech entrepreneur over the last almost 30 years. You've gone from coder to businessman. You've built successful businesses. Why did you choose technology and would you recommend this field to others? Uh, thank you, Hassan, and salam alaikum, everyone. Thank you to the organizers. Uh, this is really wonderful that you've pulled all of us together from all over the world. And certainly, I am delighted to, to be here and happy to uh, to participate. I had a great day yesterday listening to all the all the great uh, uh, lectures that uh, that I've heard. It was wonderful. Um, Hassan, you know, it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, you know. There are many, of course, many fields that one can go into, and, and they're all great fields. You know, if you want to be a historian or an artist or a lawyer or a doctor, they're all uh, great fields. Having said that, you tend to stay within that field. That sector of the economy is basically the one that you enter in, and that's the only part that you get to be involved in. Technology, on the other hand, gets involved in every sector of the economy. Honestly, you know, from advertising to transportation to uh, medical technology, all of these things technology gets involved in. And so if you are involved with technology, you get to touch all of the different sectors of the economy. And what that really means is you have a huge, huge opportunity going for you for decades to come, um, being involved in every sector. If one sector goes down, you have the other sector. And that's why really technology has been great for the past uh, 20, 25 years. And in my opinion, for the next three, five, six decades to come, technology, you won't go wrong being involved in technology. So that was one reason. The other reason is actually entrepreneurship is quite accessible when it comes to technology. 
I remember I was uh, living in Florida in a small town. I was going to high school in the 80s, believe it or not. Um, and I had taken a computer programming class in high school at the time. And, you know, looked across on the West Coast, there's these companies. One was Microsoft, uh, where uh, Gerard is, uh, was probably working at at the time. Um, and, uh, you, you know, Apple and so on. These companies got started in a garage with two or three people. And then all of a sudden, three or four years later, they're global companies. You know, if you were to look at that at the time and you say, you know, I wanted to start a big business, what would it take? You're talking about hundreds of people or a factory or anything like that. But in technology, you can get started with three or four people in a basement. And then five, six years later, you may have a global business that's worth a lot of money and, and very, very successful. And so I think that, by the way, not only was true then, it's actually more true now. Um, there's wonderful opportunities for anybody that wants to be involved in technology in the corporate world. But that entrepreneurship angle is very, very interesting and, uh, you know, um, and accessible, accessible even, even today. Um, those are, I think, the, the, the two main reasons that I, that I got involved. And of course, it's really an exciting, exciting time to be involved in technology as well. Thank you, Brother Safa. Um, on to um, Brother Mohammed Jawad. You've worked 42 or 42 years in both the UK and the United States within the technology space. You will have a wide range of experience uh, on how tech companies work, specifically Microsoft, where I believe you've spent uh, 20 plus years um, in, in, in significant capacity there. What are the key ingredients that the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons of the world have and what can we learn from them to help us succeed? Thank you, Brother Hassan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, I really appreciate the efforts of Brother Jawad, Jawad Kazmini to put this conference together. And I echo what Brother Safa said earlier. And thank you, Brother Hassan, for this opportunity. You know, before I get, answer your question, I really want to acknowledge the, the fantastic uh, effort being made here whereby we as a community get around to discuss topics of relevance in our lives. Because the personality of Imam Ali is a transformational personality. And there's no better way to remember him than to focus on the subject of reform. And I hope that this spirit of reform can carries on in every community center in every part of the world. Thank you for that. So let me answer your question, right? What are the qualities that make great companies? Um, you know, companies that you mentioned earlier, and the one that I spent quite a bit of time on, um, were very now hugely successful enterprises. And they became exceptional enterprises because there were, except, uh, there were entrepreneurs in that company, exceptional individuals, who were able to assemble uh, visionary leaders that collectively were able to do a few key things, right? So what were those key things? First and foremost was to identify technology shifts. And then nurturing a culture of evolution. So for example, in the case of Microsoft or Apple, it was really identifying the power of the microprocessor, enabling the microprocessor revolution, right? At a time where people buy mainframes or mini computers, this was a computer in every desk, right? Uh, or in the case of Google or Amazon, you know, the internet, the power of the internet, internet. These companies allowed employees to create without a fear of failure. In fact, failure was embraced because it was the only way that one can continue to try new things and strive for success, right? So identifying technology shifts and nurturing a culture of innovation. And then, you know, in their domain of competence, 
whether it was uh, online commerce or software, or whatever, the shared leadership team that was assembled in these companies were able to formulate and articulate big, bold vision on which they were willing to place big long-term bets. So for example, Microsoft, computer on every desk, right? And the bet was people would pay for software. At a time where people were buying hardware and software was free. It's a big bet to make, it came through. Or in the case of Google, for example, to provide access to the world information one click. That's a big, bold vision, right? Amazon, to be the Earth's customer-centric company where customers and can find and discover everything they want to buy online, right? And Amazon made the bet that, you know, on, with the cloud enterprise, they say, hey, people will be able to, will be willing to rent hardware rather than having their own equipment in the on-premise, right? These are big bets, big visions they were able to get behind. The third thing that they were able to do, these companies were obsessed to meet customer needs with a compelling, hassle-free value proposition, right? The Microsoft focus with the Office uh, and Windows was the knowledge worker in the enterprise, right? When at a time where this industry was dominated with mainframes, it's okay, we will empower the knowledge worker and let them drive the revolution, right? Or if you look at Apple or, uh, or Amazon, I mean, they focused in integration and flawless user experience and customer service. So they were obsessed with the customer. They understood the needs of the customer, deliver experiences hard to match. And that was not it. Then they devoted themselves and their teams to develop community of stakeholders to realize the dream, right? Whether it was investors, employees, influencers, customers, or partners. Now, there was an ecosystem to fund, to develop, and to deliver on the customer value proposition. So I mentioned the knowledge workers focus that Microsoft had, but they needed OEMs like Dell and you know, Compaq and HP and you know Sony and Hitachi, Toshiba, or, or various other people, independent hardware vendors, independent software vendors, right? Lotus Notes, those who remember that, WordPerfect, and you know, many other companies around that came there. Uh, but let's look at the example of Uber. I mean, Uber is focusing on the whole uh, automotive industry, right? They're able to help deliver uh, enlist drivers to help complete the dream that you can actually order a hassle-free ride. Or Airbnb, how can we actually uh, enable small property owners be able to monetize and compete with big big chains? So all these things, all these companies obsessed with also developing ecosystems. They were tenacious. They learned to fail forward faster, right? They attracted teams of talent. They got traction and they established a trajectory to success. Awesome. Well, Sahab, on to you again. Uh, we heard a lot from Brother Muhammad Jawad about the corporate world and the big tech giant world. You've had experience in the corporate world. You've had experience in startups, early stage tech businesses. Given your kind of breadth of experience in both sector and stage of a company, what would be the number one tip you would advise others to help them succeed? You know, Hassan, um there's no tip that will help someone that doesn't invest in themselves first. Um, the first thing to do is you have to invest in yourself and in your own talent and your own capability. And by the way, this is true if you're in tech or anything else. You got to be able to go out there and try to be the best person that does that one particular thing that you're, that you're working on. And you do that by, by learning by continuously learning and becoming a life, what we call a lifelong learner. But honestly, I'm gonna take a, a stop here and, and talk about this a bit because it just really depends what age you are and, and wh where you are you know, at this stage in your life. But certainly if you're young, you know, you're in high school, you know, 
all the great entrepreneurs started in high school, all the big star entrepreneurs, they all started doing something in high school. So really put a lot of effort if you're from 16 to 22, this is a time where you invest in yourself and invest in your own capability and your own knowledge. Try to get the best grades that you can and get your hand into everything you can. And then after that, continue learning and try to become the best person that you are. Having said that, that's not enough to succeed in the corporate world. You can out there and hold a job for a long time, no problem. But if you want to really be successful in corporate or and eventually in entrepreneurship, you have to do the one golden rule that, that I always follow and I tell a lot of young people that they find this, this rule quite, uh, quite useful. The most important thing that you have to do is to identify the biggest business problem that exists in that business that makes the most impact to that business bottom line and try to be part of the solution and solve that problem for that business. A lot of people get confused. They think if they just work really, really hard, uh, they should be rewarded uh, for that. Now, let's say you, you pick on a project and you work really hard. You put lots of hours in and, and, and you pick up the most complex problem that you have. And that ends up adding five, $6,000 to the revenue of your business. No one is gonna notice, even if what you've done was really, really complex. But if you go out there and actually you find the one project that's actually going to help increase the top line of a business by 20 or 25%, and you solve that problem, then things will change, change a lot for you. I'll give you a personal example that I had personally, and I can tell you many others, other colleagues I've dealt with, they've had similar experience to this, um, to what I'm about to tell you. Um, I was actually a programmer, you know, as an individual contributor many years back, and the manager of our group um, came in and gathered all the developers, there's like 20, 20 of us, and said, look, we've just nailed our biggest project. This is going to add about 25% to our top line revenue, but we have to develop this piece of software and give it to the customer before the, the customer will confirm the order for us. How long would it take for us to do this and who can do this? And all the senior guys were like, this is gonna take three to four months, you know, and, and it's normal, that's a normal answer, you know, they were fine, really, uh, to give that answer. I stepped up and I said, I think I can do this in two to three weeks. If you don't let me do it, I will do it. And he says, well, I've got nothing to lose, there you go. I mean, I was like the most junior engineer in, in the group. Uh, I spent two weeks, I tell you, I spent probably morning, early morning to late at night, every day for two, two and a half weeks, wrote that software, delivered it to the customer, and the customer loved it, it worked the first time, and, and went back to our, our business and confirmed, confirmed that, uh, that thing. Now, the mistake that the other people did is that they didn't recognize that this project was different than other projects. This project is strategic to our business, and it was gonna add a significant amount of revenue to our business. They should have said, I want to do that. And they went with their normal three to four months. Now, two weeks later, the CEO of the business came to my office and said, Safa, how would you like to become the director of software development for our business? In two weeks, right? Why? Because that guy was like, if this person was able to give me a project that was gonna add $10 million to our business, I don't want to lose that person and that's the kind of person I want to, to, run, to run things for me going forward. And so if you do that, if you do that, you will find out that you never have to ask for a raise for yourself or ask for a promotion. What will happen is senior leadership will come and pick you up and raise you up into, into the field. So this principle you can apply whatever you could be marketing and sales and whatever. 
you can apply this principle. Go find the most important, most challenging. Look for the problem that makes that CEO not sleep at night. Trust me, that CEO, there's always something that's making him not sleep or her not sleep at night. Find out what that is and solve that, solve that problem. And you'll find out they'll come and pick you up. This is one. A secondary tip, if you will, um, you know, that, that, that I'll, I'll tell you about, uh, which really works, is that, um, you know, when you're working and a position opens up in the business, a position that you know you're really not fully qualified for, it's a bit higher grade than what you ought to be going for. Normally, most people say, you know, this is too much for me. I, you know, they're, they're never going to accept me for this. You know, I, I'm too dirty. What you do for that is you actually go to that person and you say, you know what, I would like to apply for that position, whoever's, whoever is offering that position within their business. Now, they're going to smile at you and nicely usher you out of your office, out of their office. Why? Because you're just simply not there. You're, you, you don't have the experience for that. But you know what's going to happen? You will be in the mind of that person for a long time. And that person will be asking themselves, why does John or, or Hassan, you know, think they can do this job? There must be something about that guy. He thinks he can do this, right? And they will watch out for you. And the next time a position opens up, a high-level position opens up in that business, you'll, you will be the first person. They'll come knock on your door and, and, and ask you to interview for that position. So to me, if you do those two things, you'll find out, again, you'll never have to ask for a raise and you never ask for a promotion. CEOs and COOs will come and pick you up and raise you up in that organization. Thank you, Safa. Thank you. Um, we'll move on quickly to Brother Mohammed Jawad again. Um, so far, we've heard a lot about tech and business, and of course, that's the, the focus of this panel. But um, uh, where is the next big opportunity in technology? Not just, I don't mean just with business, I mean, generally speaking. And how can technology be used for the betterment of humanity and advancement for us uh, as a community outside of business? Thank you, Brother Hassan, for that question. And I'll get to it in just a minute. But, you know, you just inspired me to think about something. You know, when we look at our life, you know, we learn to earn, to serve, and to rest, right? And all these things are important. We do all those things at every stage of our life. But at some point in time, we actually have to emphasize one thing or the other. So learning is very important. So there are many areas of uh, opportunity to explore, but in the limited time we have right now, I want to focus on the second part of your questions. How can technology be utilized uh, for the betterment of humanity and advance us outside of business? And I think this is really a call for service for every one of us here. You know, uh, it is clear, we've heard you mentioned that uh, we have uh, already seen and continue to see massive transformation uh, by information technologies. And as we continue to transform, uh, universal, universal access to basic primary, secondary, and tertiary education is vital so that every human being can realize their full God-given potential. Because an educated person will be an asset. A person who misses out on the opportunity to learn might become a burden and, God forbid, a liability to society. So what is the problem with the education system? Despite allocating a significant portion, portion of national uh, GDPs, uh, developing countries, like for example, Tanzania, my country of birth, uh, is not able to provide access to quality education for its growing population. And by the way, this population is growing fast. When I left in 71, 12 million people. Now we, ha we have 60 million people. And 20 years from now, we have 100 million people. And what's the problem? First of all, girls don't get the same opportunity as boys. This is really a human problem for eons, right? 
School infrastructure is deteriorated or lacking. No toilets, desks, clean water, classrooms, you know, school fencing, you can name it, right? There's no adequate teaching capacity. The number of teachers being produced are not able to meet the growing population. And many of the teachers have become a victim to diseases like HIV, AIDS, and others. Uh, there is a lack of teaching supplies or learning material. Right? And in a fast-changing dynamic world, the curriculum, the school curriculum, needs to improve to better prepare students for a productive after-school life. Not to mention, children are not getting sufficient nutrition. And this is resulting in stunting and inability to concentrate. I mean, it requires uh, better maternal uh, child health education, nutrition, so that young kids, when they go to school, they become good learners. And these are huge issues, right? That requires not just capital operational budgets, but also manpower. And these are exactly the kind of customer problems that we want to focus on, right? Guess what? There's inadequate tax revenue to help tackle these issues. And any solution to address these issues require investments and contributions and sacrifices from parents as well as citizens of the country. Now, what I described above was the case of one country that I've actually looked at. But now imagine the situation in war-ravaged countries like Iraq or Syria, refugee camps. The situation may be just as bad, if not worse. And the scenario I talk about calls for out-of-the-box thinking from sharp minds and compassionate hearts. Now, the good news is that technological advances can help us increase the teaching capacity, extend reach, enhance quality of education so that every child can realize their God-given potential. Div digital devices, digital content, information and commission technologies help us expand reach and enhance quality. Imagine using these tools to help communities expand their teaching capacity, right? Using adults in the community, if there's lack of teachers or all the kids helping to this, enhancing quality. These are all possibilities. Now, there are, it's not that nothing is being done. There are several efforts underway, but I see an opportunity here. I see an opportunity for an open source movement around the world that gets every one of us to focus on this. And I'll be happy to glad, because we don't have time here to go into much detail, to engage with like-minded people on what we can do. You know, I, I, my prayer is that every community assumes its rightful place amongst other successful communities, advancing the human cause in this globalized world in our lifetimes, inshallah. Amen. So, um... Thank you very much for those really inspirational insights into technology in the modern world. Um, so now we're going to go on to some questions that I've collected from the audience. Uh, the first question goes to Safa uh, in Washington. Uh, many young professionals believe that their moral values may be holding them back from professional achievement. So, you know, there's this dilemma when you're in technology and you're in business um, about ethical de decisions you may need to make, you know, in terms of where you go up, how you meet your clients, and so on. Um, do you agree that this is holding them back? Uh, and how would you overcome this issue? And how have you overcome this issue um, over the years? Thank you, Hassan. That's a great, great question, honestly, I tell you. Um, you know, by the way, I, I don't agree. I don't think uh, our, our moral um, uh, you know, approach uh, holds it, hold us back uh, at all in business. Now, I know what they're talking about. I know what they're talking about. You know, a lot of what happens out there is people go out drinking with friends or with clients, um, you know, bars and restaurants and things like that. And, and things that for us are, are not comfortable. We don't, you know, and they're haram, you know, to go uh, and do them. And 
a lot of business and opportunities are, are, are created in those, in those environments. But you really have to dissect uh, what's going on in there and understand it so you can come up with a good solution. It's, it's, sorry for being direct, but it's, it's not the alcohol that gets you the deal. The first um, rule of sales is that people buy from people they like and trust. That's the rule of the first rule of sales is that people buy from people they like and trust. And so what's happening in those bars is that that provides a, an environment where people can do that. They can develop friendships, develop connections, uh, get to like the, the client, get to, to like them and they like them back. And that is really the thing that enables business to, to go forward and opportunities to be given. So all we have to do, so we can't do that because we have to stay authentic to ourselves. Honestly, it's really, really important, especially if you intend to get into leadership. People will call you out. You have to be authentic and truthful and true to yourself because otherwise people won't follow you. You're not a good leader if you don't do that. So we really can't be in that environment and pretend to be somebody else. I don't think it really works. But all we have to do is, is do those things in a different way. Now, I think, look, you look at all the fake news that's happening out there and all the twists and turns on social media and misrepresentation and so on. I think honestly, personally, I fully believe and, and I practice it myself, authenticity, truthfulness, the values that we hold dear are more powerful than having a drink with a client in terms of building that relationship and getting them to like us and we like them back. And it actually has an additional benefit that it's a long-term thing. So if we put our effort into bringing our values forward and deal with people honestly and work really hard and, and build those great relationships by being nice and being good to people, then that does the same thing. It gets us to the same effect. So I don't agree that you cannot do, you know, you, you, it will hold you back. I don't think so. And I certainly didn't do that. didn't see that in my own career. Now, having said that, I'm going to tell you, I've definitely had situations in my career where I've lost a deal or two and a client went to my, um, to my competitor because I didn't go out drinking with them. I, I, I don't want to kind of idealize this. That, that happens and will happen. Uh, but I think uh, on the other hand, um, I've gotten more deals because I, I work the other way, uh, dealing honestly and being genuine, being a genuine person with, with customers and clients. Uh, I've gotten more deals than that. And I think I've, I've, on, on the net, I came out to be a positive. And by the way, of course, Allah is the one that has the rizq at the end of the day. Whatever is written for us will happen anyway. Um, and I fully believe that. And, and I think we can definitely find success uh, while maintaining our values in business. Um, Brother Muhammad Jawad, so we know how much technology has changed in the last 10 years. We know only 12, 13 years ago, there was no iPhone. So the, the world's completely changed in the, just in the last decade. Um, from a technologist's point of view, what do you believe the next big thing in technology will be? What will be the next revolutionary change which we can, we might see in the next in the next decade happening to us? Yeah, let, let me also kind of add on to what Safa said, right? I think uh, when, it, when it comes to morality and ethics, it's really up to each one of us. There are many temptations, right? And the key things to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate sultan. We have been created the best of the most. And we can go to the base. So we, we have to be living as with ideals all the time everywhere. Um, but anyway, I will get this, uh, digressed here. 
Um, you know, there are a number of big technological shifts underway. I want to focus on a few because time is not enough there and we'd be running out of time. In, the Internet of Things uh, is the next giant leap in the Internet uh, evolution. Internet of Things will automate and control uh, the tasks that are done on a daily basis, uh, and, and this by avoiding human interventions. And advancement in the Internet of Things will benefit human beings in many ways, but also will come with a cost. There will be issues of security and privacy, over-reliance on technology, uh, job insecurity, uh, some of the challenges that will be posed by IoT. IoT will also be one of the things that will fuel artificial intelligence. AI is one of the most transformative technologies of our time and has the potential to help solve many of the world's most pressing challenges. Uh, you know, Safa said 50, 60 years ahead. I think the best of technology is yet to come. There is and will continue to be increasing application of artificial intelligence in our daily lives. AI refers to any human-like intelligence exhibited by a computer or a robot or by a machine. In popular usage, AI refers to the ability of a computer or machine to mimic the capabilities of a human mind, learning from examples, the experience, recognizing objects, understanding and responding to speech, making decisions, solving problems, and combining these and other capabilities to perform functions a human, by, human being might is expected from. And such, a, um, so for example, being at a hotel or driving a car. Now, you know, in terms of market opportunity, you know, a Pricewaterhouse report uh, titled Sizing the Prize highlights that AI could contribute up to $15.7 trillion to the global economy in the year 2030. That is 6.6 .6 trillion likely from increased productivity and 9.1 trillion from consumption side effects. And this is nine years from now. Now, while some sectors and businesses are more advanced than others, AI is still at early stage of development overall. And uh, from a macroeconomic point of view, there are therefore opportunities for emerging markets to leapfrog more developing counterparts. And within the business sector, one of the today's startups or a business that hasn't yet been even founded could be the market leader in 10 years time. AI will also pose uh, ethical challenges. You know, uh, I'm quoting Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft in his book, Tools and Weapons, The Promise and Peril of Digital Age. He says, ultimately a global conversation about ethical principles for artificial intelligence require an even bigger tent. There will be need to be seats at the table, not only for technologists, governments, NGOs, and educators, but also for philosophers and representatives for, of the world's many religions. So that's really a key thing. Another, I'll be remiss if I don't mention the next one here, which is the transition to uh, techno uh, clean technology. This is a huge, huge uh, uh, opportunity that will develop in the near future as we grapple with the effects of climate crisis. Scientists and uh, activists or student leaders or whatever are able to talk about the dire consequences. But the average person on their couch can hardly understand what is so urgent and why it matters. So far, the discussion has been around transportation and electricity. And, you know, things like electrical vehicles or people like uh, Elon Musk and his company Tesla generate the buzzwords. To avoid the worst effects of climate change, we need to get to net zero in all areas where greenhouse gas production, gas emission happens. For example, electricity. How can you deliver reliable power with zero carbon electricity to the world? Transportation, how can we get around our communities uh, and the world without emitting carbon? 
ชวนทุกคนมาร่วมทําอะไรด้วยกันเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื่อเพื